On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about how to make a project go successful. How do we gain customer satisfaction? What are the steps to take to test the system properly? And what does it take to identify what is a good punch list? That and more on State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. This is a state of control, episode 30. Do it right the first time. Aviation is brought to you by our underwriters, companies such as Atlas IED. Welcome to a state of control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control automation and programming aspects of the audiovisual industry. I'm your host, Steve Greenblatt, and thank you for joining us. Uh, we have another exciting episode planned for you today. Um, this episode is something that I think is going to be near and dear to everybody's heart. It's about how do you finish a project? And in doing so, how do you gain customer satisfaction? So with me to discuss this are two returning guests, and I'm glad to have them back. Uh, the first is Jim Maltese from AVR. He's a CTSD, CTSI, and known for his commissioning skills. So how are you today, Jim? Very well, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Next, we have Dave Hatz from AVI Systems. Uh, Dave's a, a certified and highly experienced and qualified programmer that uh, I'm glad to be able to share uh, some time with at training and, and other types of industry events. How are you today, Dave? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for being here. So unfortunately, Uncle Richie uh, is not with us today, but our, our uh, thoughts go out to him. Uh, he had something come up real quick, uh, unexpected, but I'm sure he's listening and he'll be back on the next episode. I just wanted to do shout out to him. So I'm sure we've all experienced those types of projects that uh, we, we hope go smoothly, but for one reason or another, uh, they take different turns and unexpected situations come up. And unfortunately, uh, in the end, nobody wins when they take longer than expected. Uh, they, they end up becoming a little less profitable. Uh, quality sometimes suffers. And uh, the relationship with the customer can also be sacrificed. So um, what we're going to do today is examine those things that impact the outcome of a project and, and how can we get a project to be completed satisfactory. So Dave, I'll start with you on this. Um, what are the steps that, that you take throughout a project to achieve the desired outcome? What are some things that, that can be done to be able to, to ensure or, or, or I guess limit some of the variables that impact the, uh, a project going off course? Well, I, I think really it starts with defining the scope. And when it comes, you know, from a programmer standpoint, it's, we can, you know, I think everyone will agree, if you have a defined scope and you know what you're programming to, it's a whole lot easier to create a rock solid product that works and that you can stand behind if you know what you're doing. It's when you get those curveballs thrown at you that 
okay, now I've got to go start reworking things. And oops, I forgot to fix or change something here and there. And so you introduce unreliability. So I think it really starts with defining that scope. And I'm a big believer in reviewing that with the customer. So, you know, doing your GUI layouts, your touch panel layouts, your button interface layouts, putting on paper what you envision the system, you know, how do you envision it working? And then reviewing that with your customer. Because even if it turns out you guys are on totally different planets, they, they want it red, you would have it green, whatever the case might be, if you define that up front and you come to an agreement on what it should be, before you've put 60, 70% of the labor into the project, at least it gets us all on the same page. And so if we can get that scope defined and agreed to at, you know, say the 30% mark of the project, now as we move forward, we're all, our paths are already converged a lot closer than they might otherwise be. As opposed to getting out on site, the programmer does the best job they can. You know, they, they try to interpret an equipment list, interpret what you know a typical customer might need but invariably without that communication something's going to get missed and it's a gap that either goes to those poor relations at the afterwards or you know eating away the budget of the project or just late nights for the programmer and you know more more headaches than we need sure so so along those lines jim um we're, 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 Dave talks about it from a programmer's perspective. Um, what are some of the things from a, a designer's perspective or a, uh, a <clears throat> installation perspective that can be can go wrong, or, or, or and how, how do you, how do you uh, to to manage that? Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, I think to Dave's point, you know, stating the problem as early as possible is the key, right? Because a, a problem well stated is a, is a problem half solved. Um, and getting the programmer involved as early as possible. And I, I, I think what it comes down to is everyone is scared or too busy to do a complete design package from the very beginning. And when I say design package, I mean, um, you know, GUI layouts at the design phase, not, not after it's been sold to an integrator or something like that. Um, performance specifications, which is big in me, like, uh, you know, how loud is the system going to be? Um, how many, what, what is the defined wireless microphone um, operation zones in the space? So all of these things need to be laid down at the design phase. And too often it's kind of, you know, floated out there and, and left to the ether until the last week of the job. And then everyone scrambles to get it done. Um, and everyone thinks the client is flip-flopping or changing their mind. And I don't, I don't think it's the case. It's that they were never um, posed the questions, you know? And, and so clients are very good at making decisions. Um, but I think we as an industry just need to ask those questions way earlier in the whole project process. Um, and once we get it defined, I mean, it, it, it seems to go smoothly. Then um, as, as long as the entire thing is well-defined, then it's easy to set up checklists, it's easy to set up tests that you can do along the way at key milestones um, to just make sure it goes in smoothly. And then since it's defined, I mean, to, to, to verify a complete design is super easy. It's like, you know, getting a test where you have all the answers from the very beginning in, in the semester and just saying, yeah, it is this loud. Yeah, this is the GUI. Yeah, this is how it works. So it's, I, I think it all comes down to that complete, complete design package. Yeah. Exactly. And if you don't, if you don't put the time in up front, you're going to put it in one way or the other. 
you know, and you're going to put less in if you do it the right the first time and get it all defined at the beginning of the project. And then you all, everyone can deliver that one design as opposed to what we end up delivering, you know, fishtailing our way through with yeah. the perceived changes. I like the way you put that, that our customers aren't changing their mind just to change their mind. They just have a picture in their head and they're working towards that. And right. so it's our advantage to be on the same page with that picture from the start. Yeah. And, and then I'll even piggyback off that where it's not only that it gets pushed off, but who is completing that design? You know, the, the, the designer has the most interaction with the client. And if it gets deferred, you're leaving it to, you know, maybe an installer or, or a, a cable puller who's just trying to get the job done. He, he's the guy holding the bag at the very end. And now he's completing that design because there are holes. There are huge holes that need to be filled by the end of the project. And now you've got someone who might not even know who, who, who the stakeholder is, who, who the client is making design decisions. It, it, it gets dangerous. So I'll fill in there and I, and I am definitely on board with what you guys are saying. How, how, how is it to do, how do we convey this information in a way that a customer understands so that, mm-hmm. so that it's possible to get a sign off? I, I know from a programming perspective, a lot of times, and, and Dave, I'm sure you'll concur uh, that we, we, we try to provide touch panel uh, printouts or, t- or touch panel uh, layouts that are, are depict what the system is going to do, but then they have to be accompanied with some type of a narrative. But we also have to assume that a customer understands and can visualize what this is actually going to, to how it's going to work. I mean, and one way of doing it is to do some type of a web demo or, or animate the panel so that they could poke through them, but it, it, it still requires some type of an understanding. Uh, well, a, 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 go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, to me, it's a lot of it becomes sort of a skill of feeling out the customer for what it really takes to get each individual customer that confidence that they understand the vision we have and we understand the vision they have. And so, you know, to your point, you know, Steve, a lot of times it does mean either providing, you know, an early mock-up of how the system operates, or maybe it's just as you're commissioning the system, you know, before the point where you invite the customer for the final training, the real approval, invite them in to see sort of your milestones of progress so that they can start to see things in action. And, you know, some customers, it works better than others. You know, some people are, you, you know, really get scared of that, you know, that in progress view. But again, it comes down to the communication. It's how can we help them visualize, as you said, the best, you know, the best way they can visualize it is to really see it in action. And so if you can, you know, along the way, if you can help them see what's going on, it's going to get us that much closer to an easy sign off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, and, and this obviously doesn't make sense for all the, the, the custom one-off jobs. But if you have a client that has um, like an enterprise level control system where, where they're spending a lot of money up front and they're going to roll it out over hundreds of systems, I've seen large manufacturers, very large manufacturers do this where they do something in Google SketchUp where they just render the system, render the space. Um, and they'll show exactly what happens with each button push in the space. 
And that is, so, you know, I. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's awesome. And it's not as crazy as it sounds with the technology, you know, I mean, once you do it, and, and again, I wouldn't do this for um, just like a, a, a one little boutique thing who doesn't want to spend, you know, $500 on, the, on the, the programming. But if you're talking about like a million dollar program, it does make sense to build the space in Google SketchUp. It does make sense to say, okay, when I press this button, um, my dual screen video conference looks like this. When I press this share button, this screen still shows the far end. This screen now shows your presentation. And then it's, you know, the narratives are huge and they are the most readily available way to convey what's going to happen and the easiest to document. But a lot of people, especially if they don't, client side, client side people, if they don't have experience with these terms um, or with these systems or whatnot, showing them visually is so much more impactful um, than a narrative. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's much more difficult to do. It's much more time consuming. Um, but the impact and the effectiveness, I, I, I think, uh, could, could be a good thing. And even now, if we get smart about it, maybe we don't render the space, but maybe we just render like a generic two display system, you know, and, and, and so we, you can take some of those elements in that larger enterprise system and apply it to some of the one-off systems um, just to help it along. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think showing them visually or graphically or, or um, with videos is much more impactful uh, than, than a simple narrative. Well, the other thing I'll add to that is, and we've found, especially when you get, you know, like you said, sort of when you get to that larger enterprise account, there's a lot of times where we actually, you know, if we're going to be deploying 30, 40, 100 rooms for a customer, we actually try to encourage them to allow us the time to design and schedule a pilot, a pilot of it. Awesome. Let's build the first room. Let's work out those, those experience changes, those button changes, all those things. Let's work it out at a point where we haven't invested in deploying it out to 100 spaces. Let's really see the entire system even in action. And I mean, and it's a follow-up to what you suggested, Jim, you know, of each, each step along the way. But before we say we're going to build 100 of these cookie cutters, let's, let's look at one and make sure that everyone is, is comfortable with it. And then we look to deploy. And I, I, I was going to chime in on that as well, that I've, what I've seen to be successful, especially if you're looking at an enterprise-wide solution, is to have a lab be able to, to really build a system and, and, be, and bring in the users, even if possible, to be able to, to go through it, but, but at least be able to prove it out, have your proof of concept, and then just worry about the little tweaks later on. It, you know, mm -hmm. But it's, you're so much further along in, in ensuring the outcome that you're looking for. Well, yeah. and, and it's one of those things that I think, you know, on the surface, you look at it and say, you know, it's easy to look and say, oh, we don't have the time or the budget to do all of that extra work. But if you're careful about the way you plan it, you can get to the point where it's really not that much extra work. If you do the steps along the way that you would otherwise need to do anyways, you're just sort of stacking them in, the, in, a, in a specific order so that you stop along the way and say, you know, hey, customer, I'm going to invite you into the progress that you'd be making anyways. I'm just bringing you into the process to see it and sort of, you know, sign off that we're on the right track. Yeah, and, and, and earlier in the project where you have time to implement changes easily. So uh, I think that, that we're on to, to, to a really good uh, topic here. And I, I just I want to kind of turn it a little bit to 
the type of situation where you, where you run into that you're 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 kind of in the heat of the battle and you and you've put you you may have put forth this effort or may not have but the the uh, it, it's it's coming down to the the, the last. Uh, 20%, 10% of a project where you're trying to get, get the job done. Um, I guess, Dave, uh, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what are the, how, how do you go about try being able, identifying the open items, figuring out whose responsibility they are and, and also isolating what, what those are? Uh, because a lot of times an open item can be uh, the projector doesn't work, <laughs> but that's not necessarily helping anybody. Right. So I approach it always as I want to get, and, and I'm going to start out saying I'm a programmer at heart and I'm the first one to blame the programming. <laughs> I want to, I want to prove before I start pointing fingers to someone else, I want to figure out that it's not, I want to prove that it's not me. So when I do that, I, I always try to start out first. Let's figure out, is it a hard, is it truly a hardware issue with the signal path? Is it the, the combination of resolutions or signal type or processing that's causing the problem? Or is it that the signals are really getting received, are you know, being transmitted, but there's something in really in the code that's manipulating them? In my mind, if I can sort of narrow it down to one of those three areas, then we can determine who, you know, who in the given project is most suited to address it. I mean, obviously, you know, I look at it, I'm a lot of times I'm capable of fixing it, but a lot of times if I've got an engineer alongside me, it's, it's time better spent if I can hand it off to them if it's a problem with the EDID management, we'll say. Mm -hmm. I can hand it off to the engineer and I can give them directions certainly on where I'm seeing it and how I'm seeing it. But I always look at it as the more information I can discern about really what is occurring, not why, but what is occurring, that's what then leads itself to the, you know, to finding the resolution. Sure, and I know that this answer differs depending on different situations in different companies, but, but when it comes down to it, whose responsibility is it to identify those open items? Is, is it a programmer's responsibility? Is it a project manager? Is it a field tech? Is it a, uh, I, you know, is it the customer? You know, <laughs> I assume not, but. I look at it on that one. I look at it as it's everyone's responsibility. It's, I mean, we, we as the system integrator have been purchased or have been contracted to provide a finished product. That doesn't, that's not, the programmer wasn't contracted, the engineer, the technician weren't individually contracted. The integrator as a whole or the independent programmer as a whole was contracted. And so it's a combination effort. Even if you're, you know, your official work order says that the tech shall do this, the programmer shall do this, it's really everybody's you know, in my, in my mind, it's, it's everybody's responsibility to take some ownership and, you know, and really work together, but each take it on as though it's their responsibility. I, I think I agree with that in, in the spirit of it. And I, I think that's what I see on most um, job sites, but the one tricky part is the last bit you said is taking ownership of it. Um, and so you know, that gets into some murky waters where especially so if, if you're looking at the DSP and uh, if the communication between the control system and the DSP um, needs to change and someone else besides the integrator, either the, the end user or the designer or whatever makes that change to the DSP that has other ramifications now, who owns the DSP? 
Is it the last person who touches it who, who really might not belong in, in that realm? Or is it the integrator who, who you know, where, where, when the lines of demarcation were set out for the project were set, um, their role was, was the DSP. So I, I fully agree um, that everyone on the project team should help to diagnose the problem um, and, and again, state the problem well. It's not that the projector isn't working, it's that um, you know, H, the, the, the first HDMI input isn't receiving uh, HDCP content or something like that. So get as specific as you can with diagnosing the problem. Um, but I think sometimes you do have to fall back to the lines of demarcation on the project to actually implement the, the, the fix. Yeah, and I guess I, I'll clarify when I when I'm thinking, you know, take ownership. It's in in terms of the identifying and taking it as far towards resolution as appropriate, and that right, might not right, mean perfect. fixing it myself. It's making sure that the right person is engaged to address the problem. That you know that the issue progresses, and it might yeah. come up to a wall where it's okay. I'm waiting for the customer, or I'm waiting for another trade, even. But it, it's taking ownership on the progressing of the issue more than mm -hmm. the actual resolution sometimes anyways that makes sense so, so so personally i i've seen the ability to provide a good written punch list being a lost art and at least in my experiences and and i i feel like that you know that that's your game plan to closing out a project and being able to at least say these are what are the known open items but also having something that is comprehensive uh because if you're given something that's partial and you don't know that it's partial, that that's not helping your situation either. And you know, I'm sure Dave, you'll uh, you can concur, concur on this. Is that programmers want to be able to have everything that they need, uh, have all of the items rather exactly. than make multiple revisions. No, if, if you if you, as a programmer, if you have the list, if you have if you you really need to, to be effective, you need to have the full vision in your head of where you need to go and. The, the, you know, when you get to the down to the tail end of a project, the punch list being thorough and accurate and well spelled out as to what the real issue was, whether it's just what was observed or what the root cause is, either way at times, you know, is necessary. But let me give me a vision of what the problem is, not just the projector doesn't show the laptop. Well, the projector shows the laptop some of the times, it just doesn't in this case, or after doing this, or with this signal type, or whatever. But, you know, it's like you say, it's being thorough, and it is, it's a lost art. We, we all need to take more time to really work harder at it. I think sometimes we forget that systems can operate without a control system. <laughs> Amen. And uh, being able to take that out of the equation and test, test the system really gets down to the root of what's working and what isn't. Hmm. Um, Jim, I'm going to kind of turn this to you because I know AVR is really big into to quality and into system commissioning. Um, can you share with us uh, some of the tips and techniques that you guys use to help your customers and, uh, you know, whether it's your end users or even customers that, that you work with? other firms that you work with to to help them to be able to get to the point where where they can be confident in knowing that their systems uh, are are tested and 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 also that the the outcome is meeting what what the uh, expectations are sure yeah I, I think there are two sides to that corner I think number one is transparency um, where being just completely clear and open with the entire project team about what 
um, we're going to be doing as, as a third party commissioning agent. And uh, number two, the other side is having the, the whole system, the whole process documented. And so what we do, we use the AV9000 standard. It's, it's a quality management standard. Um, and what people do, because we're kind of a small company, but we, we do things very well. So they take our quality management standard that we follow. We're an ISO 9000 company. We're AV9000 certified, uh, compliant. Um, and they take our quality management process and pepper it throughout these larger projects. And that's kind of how AVR got their start in, in commissioning. Um, so the key milestones that we let everyone know about once we get on board is during the design process that there's a design review checklist. And, and I think having a checklist is, it, it removes that, I call it a revolving door punch list. Um, because too often, you know, you get, once you get 20 items on a punch list, people think, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with 20 items. I'm going to send it out. Those 20 <laughs> items gets fixed. And then um, you know you find 20 more items because the entire system was not checked uh, or you got too focused on one particular aspect of the project uh, and, and that took up all your time. You, you ran out of time on the day. You kind of forgot where you were and so that's the punch list that was submitted and that's where we, we, we just don't have a complete punch list anymore you know, because we just have whatever punch list was done during the time that the guy was there. Um, with a documented checklist, you, you don't forget things, you know, I, I mean, everything is there. So whenever you check something, you, you're, you're, it's documented. So you know what you checked, you know what you have left to check. Um, and then that's where having a complete punch list comes from is because every time I do a design review, these are all the key things, um, that I'm going to check. And so these are the things I'm going to report on every time I do a shop staging before the, the, the system comes to the, the job site. These are all the items I'm going to check on the system, including having a complete control system. And once I do the commissioning, the, the final turnover, um, this is the checklist that I'm going to be doing. Another great part about that is if something does trip us up, if something is missed or a, a client catches something that we didn't, we just add it to the process. And now the entire team can share that same process, do that same thing. And that's that I, I think that's why people like our punch list is because they are so complete. They've hit everything that um, should be reviewed during a design review. They've hit everything that a uh, complete staging should happen at the shop. And they hit everything with a fine tooth comb um, that the, the system is that a user would see at the commissioning before the system is turned over. Um, so, so yeah, I think transparency, again, giving everyone the answers to the test before you give out the test is huge. Uh, and then just having it documented and, and checklist. And I know they're, they're the most unsexy thing out there. Um, but you just don't have to, I mean, you have to think, don't get me wrong. Um, but you, you don't have to remember what you need to check because it's right there in front of you. The so, other thing I'll throw in with checklists is when you're talking anything more than one room, when you start looking at installations of two rooms, three rooms, 10 rooms, 40 rooms, you number one, you introduce multiple more people into the equation a lot of times. And number two, you introduce complacency because by the time you've got, even if you're walking through 40 rooms and your task of the day is just checking three things that you've changed or that have been left open, by the time you get to the 25th room, you're liable to miss one of those things. And, or if you've got three people going around those 40 rooms, 
one of those got people is going to miss one thing in one room. And so if really living by the checklist, it saves you. It catches that you missed something if you really live by it. It's a set. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think one of the hardest things about testing is the consistency of it and knowing that even though you're making a small change here or you're, you're affecting this one little area, you still have to go through and make sure that nothing else has been impacted. Well, Jim, Jim hit the nail on the head when you, know, when you, when you catch something that wasn't on the list, mm -hmm. going back and adding that to the list for all of your other rooms because sure. the fact that you missed it once means you now need to go check for it across the board. And that's, that's something that often gets overlooked. Yeah. And, and that's why some of the, some of the tools we use, um, and we, we've, we've played with a lot. I think, um, Google docs has their own, well, I don't know. Is that all right to mention? Sure. There, there's a lot of tools out there that'll oh, help you that better. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of project management tools. I'll, I'll try to keep in generic, but, uh, you know, that, allow the entire team to see what's going on. They allow the, the entire team to see all the documents being created live. Um, and then if the team needs to chat on site to, you know, hey, hey, I know you're doing these eight rooms. This is what I found in these six. It might be a good idea for you to, to check that out just to keep, um, you know, that transparency across your own team uh, and, and to give people clues as they're doing it instead of in an after action meeting where it's too late. You know, the, the job is closed and, oh man, I just remembered did you guys check the, the nineteen twenty by twelve hundred resolution? The client needed it, but our our generator didn't do it, and so we might have to go back. Oh no, now it's too late. Now you look bad. Um, so the ability to share that information live across a team is huge. So Jim, so you're 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 implementing so that you're you're you, while you're out in the field, you're updating these docs that are then instantly shared with the rest of your team. So everyone's connected to those documents yeah. at all times. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, obviously it's going to be more important with the enterprise level clients who are rolling these things across the world. And, you know, we've got teams in many different cities. And so the ability to, to have that live connection, no matter where you are, has really helped us out a lot. I like it. So, so the, uh, the last thing that I want to touch on, and, and this may be the trickiest is dealing with the subjectivity items. Where, mm -hmm. how, do, how do you test and, and verify something that is open to interpretation and, and see if you guys had any thoughts or tricks to, to do that? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's where scope creep comes in. That's where projects never get closed because, um, you know, like, so per perfect example, we, we started, we, we've done a lot of video walls and um, I'm still surprised at how many manufacturers recommend um, color balancing them by eye. And then the question is, whose eye? Is it the manufacturer's eye? Is it the designer's eye? Is it the client's eye? Whose eye is okay? Before we, you know, and, and, and then that's the thing. It was, it was, we had a meeting with the client, with the designer, with the integrator, and the designer was kind of um, poo-pooing the manufacturer, saying, you know, I mean, this one guy, Scott, is great, but Jen, she's got the best eye ever. But what happens if Jen is in India? You know, what are you going to do? Then you're, you know, so it, it gets complicated. And that's where in, in AVR, we try to get rid of the subjectivity as much as possible. And um, it's not as crazy as it sounds. I mean, some of the metrics get a little funny, but, um, you know, so you, you, you can't go up to an executive and say, how loud do you want your system to be in um, DBSPL A-weighted? They don't really understand that. But what you can do is go into a room 
and say, why don't you adjust the volume until you're, it, it's at a level that you like? And they adjust the level, and then you take your SPL meter, measure it, and then, okay, bam, I'm going to take this level and apply it to every single room of yours across the world. And, and that's it. And it was the same thing with the video wall. You know, we, we said it was done by eye, but I said, all right, well, you know, let's talk about tolerances, which, you know, and, and it was the, um, there, there were a lot of, of these tiles, I'll say. And, and so give me two tiles that are too far out of whack. These two. All right. So let's take a color, temper, color temperature measurement and a brightness measurement. And now give me two tiles that are kind of close, that, that, that you think are close enough. So we did the same thing. And then by eye, the client said, you know, through some trial and error, all right, I need a tolerance of plus or minus 10 nits on the brightness. And I need a color temperature tolerance of plus or minus 250 degrees Kelvin. And so what was once subjective, what was done by eye, now all of a sudden you put a metric on it and a subjective test or a subjective, um, I don't know, feature or aspect of the system becomes objective. And, and I think the same thing is, I mean, there are still things that can be subjective, but those are the things that need to be nailed down at some point during the design process where subjectivity is still in there. Because once you get to the end of the project um, and, you know, the, the, the nights get later and later, it's Friday night at 7 a.m., you haven't seen your kids in forever, and now you're going to get into a, a, an argument over if that button should be slightly more green or, or something like that. And so that's why if, if it's not, if it's not documented during that design phase and, and, and you don't have buy-in from all the stakeholders from the beginning of the project at the beginning of the project, um, it, it, it's just going to be a mess. It's going to be an argument. No one's going to leave the, uh, the job site. No, exactly. Cause I mean, we all know, we all know what parts of, of a, of a commissioning are going to be subjective. Cause there's, like you said, defining those thresholds is and if we can, mm -hmm. we can communicate at the beginning of the project that when we reach this milestone of calibrating your video wall, we will meet with you and we will show you where it is and we'll determine what those, what those thresholds are. If you can communicate that there are ports, parts of our checkout that are subjective and need the customer's involvement, then we all are on the same page. We're not, there's no surprises to the customer when we come asking them, you know, where do you want this set? It's not that we don't know what we're doing. It's just we want to make sure we're aligned with their subjectiveness. But you communicate that all through the process so there's no surprises. Like you said, everything is documented. We communicate that. So again, everyone's expectations are set as early as possible. That's the mm -hmm. key. Well, guys, I, I think that that's going to do it for today, but this has been a great topic and I appreciate your input on it. And I think it's something that is going to be very valuable to a lot of people out there and probably something that we'll be discussing for some time to come. Um, I would like to thank you guys for participating. First, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Hatch from AVI Systems. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, can you tell the audience how to contact you? How can they reach you and or AVI Systems? Sure, absolutely. Uh, AVISystems.com um, is the company. I'm on Twitter, at DaveHatsAVI. Um, thanks for having me, though. It's been a great time. Great. Thanks for being here. And Jim Maltese from AVR, uh, how can people reach you or AVR or uh, learn about uh, AV9000? 
Yeah, that's great. So um, AVR's website is avres.com, avres.com. You can certainly reach out to me at at Jimmy Maltese on Twitter. Um, And if you want to find out more about AV9000, go to avres.com. We've got plenty of links. Um, The nonprofit organization that manages AV9000 is AQAV, and they're at aqav.org. They do, you know, revisions every year um, around July, and uh, it's, it's, We've got a good number of people um, looking at it uh, from all over the world, really, and we're getting a lot of feedback um, from people who are implementing the checklist. So the revisions usually make it cleaner, make it faster, and just make it more effective uh, every year. And, you know, obviously because the technology changes so quickly, um, that, that type of stuff is important. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Go check it out. No, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Uh, so my name is Steve Greenblatt. Uh, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt, uh, pretty easy, on most social media channels. Um, you can also reach my company at controlconcepts.net. Uh, we have a new website uh, this past year, a new logo and so forth. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, but more, more importantly, uh, go to the Aviation website, avnation.tv, to learn more about this program and other programs on the network. Uh, and when you do, uh, leave a note for us on, on the uh, comments in the comments section of the show notes because we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear what you thought about this show and also learn more about what we can provide in the future. Uh, at, at the website, please also check out the underwriters because those are the people that help to make this show possible as well as many of the other shows on uh, the AV Nation network. Uh, but thanks for uh, joining us today. This has been A State of Control. That's all we have for today. 